something happened on the day he died. The spirit rose and meet up and stepped aside. Somebody else took his place and bravely cried. I'm a black stone. I'm a black stone. How many times does an angel fall? How many people lie instead of talking tall? America for 300 years has been the land of promise for the rest of the world. The land of new frontiers, new opportunities. Clicking sounds, sounds that reveal the presence of radioactive rays. The instrument, a Geiger counter, is converting radioactivity into sounds we can hear. Welcome to Tank Riot. That's right. This is Tank Riot. This is episode 166. I am with Victor. Hello. And my name is Tor. Hey, folks. It's 2016. <laughs> we it's used about- our time travel powers to go to the future. <laughs> yeah, it's about time that we actually record another show. So here we are. Excellent. So what you been up to, Victor? Nothing at all has happened in the world, so I... Oh, wait. Everything's happened. Everything. Everything has happened, apparently. I think one of the major things I wanted to just drop a note about that I think everyone's done talking about right now that I just want to mention is the loss of David Jones, better known as David Bowie, who died two days after his 69th birthday from a long, long battle with uh, liver cancer. Yeah, that was a big loss. but Huge. So did he... When you said the loss of... David Jones, that you you made me think of the monkeys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Davy Jones actually did pass away a few years ago. Yes, yes. So, but uh, this is David Jones. The, David yeah, Jones. Difference. Yeah, not Davy. He uh yeah, he he had known but, for a long time that he had cancer and was working on this album Black Star all the way up until his death. And I think everyone knows about that. But you know, there was Lady Gaga did that whole celebration at the Grammys. That was kind of, they had some technical difficulties. I think she truly admires him. I don't know anyone who hates David Bowie, and I don't understand why people think Lady Gaga would be faking her love of David Bowie for yeah. you know, fame or whatever. She's already famous, okay? She really just wanted to probably do something that the Academy asked her to do, and it was a strange medley, and it was fine. Yeah. I've never been a huge David Bowie fan. I mean, I haven't bought out, I haven't went out and bought all his albums or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But um, I've listened to his music all my life, and there's some stuff I like better than others. Right. Then there's some stuff I really like a lot. I, I may have mentioned this before in the podcast, but I saw him uh, do a concert on TV once, and it was like a request, request show. Uh-huh. Members of the audience or people would phone in and say, you know, can you play, uh, you know, this song? And and, and he'd say, sure. And they didn't play it. Yeah. And, he came across as just the nicest guy ever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just 100% like, oh, I want this guy to be my neighbor. He was just yeah. so polite to everybody. Yep. You know, he's so artistic. Yeah. And, I, yeah. I'm i a huge fan. Yeah. And so. he's a you know, decent movie actor, too. So. Yeah. He actually started in acting before he got into the whole music thing. And uh, obviously, he's really well grounded in the use of video. And you can tell by his stage shows that the guy knew what was going on. You know, he knew how to, yeah. how to put on a great stage show. 
I'm a giant fan. I think it's a giant loss. Uh, but the label managed to release an album uh, on his birthday, on his 69th birthday, called Black Star. And I had heard about it a little bit, but I, I put off picking it up until about a week ago. And I finally got the album, and I listened to it, and it is a brilliant masterpiece of an album. And I can understand Uh why some people might not love Love It, because like any artist, he goes through phases of what he's working on and what styles he's working with, you know, different palettes, different blue periods or whatever. And in this one, he's got a lot of very, very talented jazz musicians who are giving a darker, spooky, but jazzy feel to the album. And some of them are straight up pop songs that remind you of, you know, the old David Bowie. But the opening track, Black Star, is a good solid 10 minute song that they started as two different songs and then decided to merge them and put one in the middle of the other and make it this 10 minute epic rock song. And it is haunting and chilling, and the video is fantastic for it. Yeah. He did a couple of videos for the album, and and the Black Star video has so many allusions to his old work, to what he's doing, to the fact that he's dying. He knew he was dying during all this process. He just wrote such a brilliant album, and I'm I'm really excited about it. So the third track, Lazarus, is a really well-known song that Michael C. Hall is playing David Bowie on a stage production of basically, I think, the character from The Man Who Fell to Earth, which is an old David Bowie film that is brilliant. We've talked about it before. Oh, yeah. The Man Who Fell to Earth, if you haven't seen it, it's it's an old sci-fi film, but it's a classic 70s sci-fi film like Invasion of the Body Snatchers where uh, you get the, the pacing of the 70s and it's fun and it's uh, really dark, and I loved it. And basically... It fueled my interest in David Bowie and always viewing him as this cool alien outsider. And his art has always been kind of an outsider art. And, you know, songs like The Man Who Sold the World. And you you know that he's always referencing these uh, ideas. But Lazarus is a really great song. Um, Look up here, I'm in heaven. I've got scars that can't be seen. can't be stolen everybody knows me now also about death uh, but <laughs> but in any case there's uh-huh. not a bad song in the album and I loved it one of my favorite songs in the album is girl loves me and it's about uh well love or whatever but the language that he uses in the song is completely based on the fictional language created for Burgess's um, A Clockwork Orange. So he talks about malchicks and droogs, and it's the same thing that uh, the protagonists in Clockwork Orange were always using this gutter speak that was this blending of Russian and English. Okay. And it's awesome. And and the first time I heard the song, I thought I was having a stroke because I couldn't understand what he was saying. And then the more I listened to it, I realized, oh, he's doing an homage to Burgess. And I loved it. So um, I definitely suggest listening to that one a bunch of times. He did another reference, I think, to Burgess, I think, in Suffragette City. Anyway, he makes another allusion to droogs, uh, droogies. And uh, you know he loves that. And he's he's very... He's very well read, and that's another thing I really respect about him. He's he's a really well read, very yeah, very charismatic dude. Uh huh. 
I heard a story recently that Dave Grohl approached him for a collaboration. At the end of the conversation, Dave Grohl was like, well, well, David Bowie said, I don't, yeah, this doesn't seem like a very good idea, a very good song that we're working on. He's like, okay, that's fine. We don't have to do it. Okay, fuck off then. <laughs> and David Bowie said that to Dave Grohl. Oh, yeah. And Dave Grohl was like, oh my God, that's so awesome. I just got told to fuck off by David Bowie. <laughs> but in a good way, you know, in so, a happy, kind Silly so way. he said it in a friendly way, yeah, just kind yeah, of a, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just, I, don't know. I, I can see that conversation <laughs> happening, but yeah, I'd check out yeah. Black Star if you get a chance. I don't know what, you know, they're going to do like Kurt Cobain and release endless uh, outtakes of whatever, but this is a masterpiece David put together and managed to release so close to his death that it's totally spooky and it's something that only David yeah. Bowie could pull off. Uh-huh. So very, very proud yeah. of his career and that, that. Capper is just brilliant. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's that's that. <laughs> yeah, he was a big loss. Luckily, there's all this rec- all these recordings that we can enjoy. Yeah. What's going on with you? Just busy with everything right mm-hmm. now. I uh, am getting sucked into, I think I completed watching episode 10 of uh, Better Call Saul. Ooh, I love that show. On Netflix. So... <laughs> I'm kind of hitting an episode almost every night. Season two just started. Yeah. So, so I'll, you know, it'll, it'll take a while for Netflix to catch up. But uh, yeah, it, that's a good show. I really love it. it. It's not quite as brutal as Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. The body counts a little bit lower. Right. <laughs> at least so far <laughs> through I've, episode I've 10. I've watched Breaking Bad, but, you know, all the way up through episode or season four up into five. Breaking Bad still is kind of low on body count, you know. It's brutal okay. things happen here and there, but I think five is where it truly goes off <laughs> the rails. Goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm uh-huh. still I'm I'm rewatching it again and waiting to hit that point where it really gets crazy. Yeah, but yeah. I love Breaking, uh, but yeah, um, Better Call Saul. Um, let's see. How do you say his name? Michael McKeon. Yeah, or, Michael McKeon. Yeah, he, I, I love Final it. Tap. Yeah, I, exactly. I love his character, uh, playing the uh, you know rock and roll lawyer in the Better Call Saul. Well, maybe not rock and roll, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Lenny and Squiggy wasn't he uh, Lenny? <laughs> yeah, he was Lenny too, right here in love that guy. Wisconsin <laughs> in Milwaukee. Yeah, Milwaukee. Uh huh. <laughs> you know, we recorded the Sacred Baby Fest show on about the sixteenth of December. And neither one of us had seen this film, Star Wars, yet. Oh, yeah. The Schwartz Awakens. Yeah. Uh, number seven. Number seven. I saw it in uh, 3D IMAX. So, giant things in 3D. Yeah. And um, it, it was intense. Mm-hmm. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I did, too. I did, too. Um, and- I left the theater and had the same thoughts that some of our listeners had. We, we should probably say uh, there'll be some spoilers here. So if you yeah. haven't seen Star Wars, some you know. If you haven't seen the Star Wars movie, it doesn't matter how good yeah. or bad the movie is. It's Star Wars. Yeah. You, you have to shell over the money. So if you've, if you've not watched but, it and you don't care, then keep listening. Otherwise, I'd fast forward a little bit until you don't hear anything about you know Han Solo yeah. or BB-8 or any of those uh, jargony things. So, um, yeah, a couple spoilers. Uh a lot of the plot annoyed some of the true nerd culture a little bit. And we got some emails from some of the fans who pointed it out. And some of them very rightly so that there are some, you know, homages that are just straight up parody or straight up rip off of episode four. And yeah. you, you saw that right and away. That 
I, I kind of noticed that a little bit, mm-hmm. but then it was my, uh, at the, he just had a birthday, but at the time he was uh, 12 years old. Uh, my son pretty much explaining it all right uh-huh. after seeing it. So, you know, I, I've heard comments saying that it's, well, it's only the, you know, the older generation that notices this kind of thing and, you know, but the kids will love it. Like, no, it's the kids that caught the parallels, you know, he's seen of episode four and, he pointed out how it was not as original as it could be. I think that that but. was a necessary thing to jump the generations and to jump into a new storyline to do a little bait of a previous story to set the stage for the other two films. Because you're not going to have a remake of Empire Strikes Back and you're not going to have a remake of you know, Return of the Jedi. But I think they needed to do those homages in a way, maybe not so heavy handed. Maybe they could have skipped maybe. a couple things here and there. I was okay with it, knowing that going forward, there's no way that they could possibly get away with uh, continuing just a wholesale, <laughs> you know, rip off of storyline like that. Yeah, yeah. Although I felt the storyline was, yeah, I thought the <laughs> actors and the characters were great additions. I liked Ray, I liked Finn, I liked Poe, even though he yeah. didn't do much. Um, uh, uh, Finn, I thought was a fantastic character mm-hmm. to throw in a, an idea of a. Uh, I, I don't spoil. This happens fairly early in the movie, but he uh, Finn starts out as a stormtrooper, right? And he defects, and I thought that was a great angle. That that they didn't really touch in any other Star Wars movies, and I don't think any, at least none of the uh, you know Clone Wars or whatever stuff that I've seen. They haven't yeah, I mean it was, it was harder because of the robots and because of the uh, the clones. I mean it didn't leave them a lot of room for that kind of a storyline for a clone to really defect, right? You know, but yeah, I guess these are recruits. Yeah, <laughs> or forced recruits, or who knows? Forced recruits. And uh, and so f- I, yeah, Finn was great, and and Rhea was great, and I think there's going to be a lot of development on the Rhea character, mm-hmm. and hopefully the Finn character too in in the number eight. And I know that Kylo Ren was a big uh, kind of annoyance. I love the emo Kylo Ren Twitter account, uh, which is just hilarious uh, little things about how emo he is. But the more I think about that character, the more he is manipulating, I think, just like one of our listeners wrote to us, um, that it is a manipulation because something is going on with that character and we don't know it yet and there's no way we can know it. But I think something is going on with that character and I think it'll... It'll lead down on different paths. So someone's kind of got a bug really in his expecting. brain or something. Well, or, or, or you know, just maybe you know, maybe his path to the dark side is so that he can destroy the dark side for good, and he's got to become as dark as you can in order to defeat the evil um, leaders. And he's, you know, he'd ask permission from one of the main characters before he uh, did something mean and and uh, got got permission and uh, you know went ahead and did something that seemed truly evil and it, maybe it was, but it was a great scene. I saw it coming a mile away and I, I still enjoyed it. My the guy Godzuki was at the film, the six year old, oh, yeah, and she screamed and cried when that um, dramatic scene happened. Uh huh. Um, yeah, <laughs> I had to talk her off the ledge <laughs> for a little yeah. bit after that. The things get a little bit Breaking Bad for a while. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. gets a little. It gets a little dark. It gets a little dark. Yeah, uh, but but I liked how it played out, and I I thought that that was it's going to lead up into another uh, good um, story. The next level will be what I'm really interested in. I think that's going to be the meat of the story is what happens in this next episode. Yeah, which they push back to next. You know, it's what 500 days from the original instead of yeah. 
They want another release date. Yeah, so they're going to do another Christmas release? I think so. They're going to do the Rogue uh, storyline first, and then they're going to do this other one. Oh, is that like a side movie? Yeah, Rogue One is the Mm -hmm. story that they're working on that will be released in the interim, and that is about the brave rebel souls who got the plans uh, to give them to Princess Leia so that she could give them to R2-D2 in the beginning of Episode Four. Okay. What excites me about that is you have the opportunity to show a young Darth Vader trying to track down and kill all the rebels and then eventually finding his way to Princess Leia. So yeah. you could have the Darth Vader character show up and do wow. some things. Played by yet another actor. It doesn't really matter because he'd be wearing the His helmet. suit, yeah. He'd be wearing the suit and the helmet. Or it could be the same actor they had in Right, and you uh, get James Earl Jones to do the voice. Oh, yeah. my God. I'm so happy. That yeah. would be very exciting yeah. to me. That'd be another Back to the Roots thing. Um, uh-huh. that, that could be a lot of fun. That could be a lot of fun. And I think yeah. they're going to go for a different type of um, more violent, more <laughs> gritty storyline with this one. So, uh-huh. yeah. I don't have a lot of expectations about it. I'm just thinking it'll be really fun. Yeah. Explosions. But uh, the, game. the what was odd the the Kylo Ren character mm-hmm. for some reason he reminds me of the junior character on uh, Under the Dome. Oh yeah, yep, yep. <laughs> There's Emo. something kind of weird psycho about him. You God, know, yeah. I made it through one season of Under the Dome with uh, the Viking Princess, and we laughed so hard at it, and we made fun of it, and it was. Just so cringy. That, that oh, was so cringy. It was goofy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it made, I, made no I, sense. I think I've gone through two seasons now oh, on that. It's almost like they... The Room. It's so, it's like a very bad movie, but it's a very bad TV show. Yeah. I, I yeah. But I, I'm going to have to finish it one of these days, what, however many seasons they put it through. Yeah. Well, but it should have only been one season and it should have ended, but uh, whatever. That's, that's TV yeah. for you. It, yeah. It gets, uh, I gotta, it's a weird one. I got to say, I've seen a couple of good, you know, I know we talk about um, Westerns a lot. Um, I managed to see the Hateful Eight and 70 millimeter. Okay. Um, and that was, I had to drive to Waukesha to go see that near Waukesha. Milwaukee. Wow. Um, and it was really a wonderful film. That's some serious commitment there. Yeah. Well, it, it came, I, it was called the 70 millimeter road show and it came with this program and uh, with the, uh, Wow, it was a good movie production, and uh, they he did it old school where you have your your introduction music and then the movie, and there's an there's an intermission in the movie because nice. it's three hours and you know ten uh-huh. fifteen minutes, so you don't have to ring the right. jar right, yeah. and so incredibly brilliantly acted. Uh, Kurt Russell is the finest role that I've seen Kurt Russell in since The Thing, okay, you know, or or yeah, I guess the. <laughs> Whatever you like at Kurt yeah. Russell in, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of hard for me. <laughs> uh, so that's a Quentin Tarantino flick? Yeah, that's a Quentin Tarantino joint. And, you know, he's uh-huh. making a very limited number of films, and he swears he's going to retire. So I think after this, he's only got uh, two films left, basically. Uh-huh. It, it, you know, it all takes place basically in one little house. And if you haven't seen it, you probably, you know, you probably should, because it's a really, really well-done film. And Jennifer Jason Lee plays this character who is a criminal who the hangman played by Kurt Russell is going to bring back for the bounty and hang because that's how he does it. And he runs into all kinds of other bounty hunters and other people. And they have this whole thing going on. No spoilers. I haven't seen to to fight it over. There's a scene and this is not a spoiler, but it's a, it's a scene that happens in the film that has gained a lot of controversy that I really just want to point out. There's a scene where Jennifer Jason Lee is playing a guitar 
And it's a special guitar from the 1800s that uh, Martin Guitar Company lent to the production of Hateful Eight so they could have this authentic 1800s guitar uh, in the scene and they could have her playing it. Well, the way the story goes forward in this mini spoiler that's not a big deal is Kurt Russell gets mad at her at a point and grabs the guitar and smashes it on the bench, breaking it into shards of pieces. Okay. There's supposed to be a cut point where they cut the frame and they do like a perspective shift and then they switch the guitar out and then he grabs the crappy replacement guitar, guitar, the prop guitar, and smashes it and walks away. Well... They're claiming it was an onset accident, but Jennifer Jason Lee has said that while they were filming the scene, they didn't take the cut. And Kurt Russell, very quickly before anyone knew what was going on, grabbed the priceless Martin guitar oh, and man. smashed it on the bench and shattering it into a million pieces. And, um, you know, yeah, destroyed it, destroyed the guitar. And Jennifer, in, in an interview, said, you could see the devilish grin on Quentin Tarantino's face when this happened, you know, knowing he'd got the perfect shot because the look on her face uh-huh. was sheer terror because she had been working with this guitar and loved it and knew it was a priceless guitar and really enjoyed it and, and knew there was supposed to be a swap out before he smashed it. And then he just smashed it. And Martin Guitar is now saying they will never lend a guitar to any other movie production, blah, blah, blah. And uh, a lot of musician people are very upset that this this horrible Quentin Tarantino destroyed a priceless guitar. And yeah, I can understand the frustration of... with breaking a priceless guitar. But the other thing is, is that a film like this is truly going to be, you know, legendary in a way. It's going to be a film people remember. And that scene will be a scene that people will remember. And that guitar will be remembered and you know uh-huh. has a, has a story that will always probably be told as long as that film is talked about. That will be a point that comes up, like when Leonardo DiCaprio and Django Unchained, you know, cut his hand open but kept filming, and blood was running down his arm, and it was real blood because he had accidentally cut his hand open in the scene. I think that those things are great for storytelling, even though a priceless guitar. Was yeah, it would have been a twenty twenty hindsight. Uh, now, what Martin uh, should have done is uh, told Quentin Tarantino that he's getting the actual guitar, but yet it, it's a, like a, a replica. <laughs> replica. <laughs> yeah, good idea. And, uh, and, and I mean, Martin should be able to make a replica that's very convincing, at yeah. least on film. You know, maybe not under a magnifying glass for a guitar expert, but... I heard that after the movie, Quentin bought her uh, another uh, antique Martin guitar to replace the one and gave it to her as a gift after okay. filming. But what did he do to, for Martin? Because then it belong to Martin? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know if there's yeah. any payment or whatever, but yeah, I don't know. I just don't see the big deal, but whatever. I, I guess it was a thing. But the movie was really, really worth, worth seeing. If you can handle yeah. Clint Eastwood films, this is a great Western that is well shot takes place like a play in a very small setting and is thoroughly engaging. And the character actors are utterly fantastic. I mean, we know Samuel L. Jackson is great. Um, the, the guy who really stood out to me that I want to mention is uh, Walton Goggins. Um, and you probably don't know him. Um, he was in, well, he was in Django Unchained. Uh, he was in The Born Identity. He often plays a bad guy. But Walton was a truly fantastic character in that movie. Uh, as well as, you know, a bunch of others. You got your Michael Madsons and Bruce Dern playing an old Confederate uh, general. They just chewed up the scenery, and every single one of them, there wasn't a weak performance in that cast, in my opinion. 
And I know I was all starry-eyed because I was seeing the 70-millimeter print, but I, so, I enjoyed so it. So how really good was the 70-millimeter print? Did you notice a difference? Yeah. I mean, it looks a lot different than, I mean, it's obviously different from, you know, if you're seeing like a 35 or something. Yeah, it's, it's obviously different. Yeah. Better quality. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, completely, completely. Rich details. Yep. Yeah. It, it was really warm and, and rich, but I think I, it'd be, I'd be hard pressed, I bet, uh, to compare it to like a digital viewing. And I don't know. Yeah. I don't but, know what I would be able to but tell. But here's a question for mm-hmm. you. Were, were they able to get a lot more shots with uh, good bokeh, if I'm pronouncing that right, which is where you have your subject is in focus. Right. But everything behind them is just out of focus in this real soft focus. So yeah. your subject stands out almost 3D, even though it's a 2D. Yeah, yeah. They did a lot of those shots. And, and yeah. what's great about the set that they had is sometimes your character was in focus, but you could make out what someone else was seeing on the other side of the room because it was so wide. And in the wider shots where you're focusing on a character of the same depth, you could see what someone else was doing because... In a way, it's a mystery, and you're wondering what all these characters are doing at different points in the film, and mm-hmm. you have enough room on the screen to try to pay attention to everything that's going on. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and there's a lot of lot of depth focus, a lot of really beautiful, especially in the beginning as they're heading to this soon-to-be-snowed-in inn, you get a lot of beautiful stagecoach shots, and you know he uh-huh. knows how to film those shots, and he knows, obviously, he knows how to get the dialogue perfect. Yeah, and it was shot in 70. Yeah. 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 So that's which we kind of covered in in our 120 yeah, show. They had on, to take on, gear out of storage and clean it up and get it working again because no oh, one yeah. really had this gear up and running for this production. Yeah, yeah. And, and so the advantages you have in still photography with medium format cameras, or ones that use the 120 film that we talked about in episode 120, you also have those advantage with 70 millimeter uh, movie cameras because right. the negative is so big. You get a, a it's a it's just a completely different perspective on uh, the way things look because longer lenses are actually a longer lens will be uh, a more a more of a wide angle on seventy millimeter than thirty five millimeter because it's you know it's the same focal length right. lens but it's covering more area of film so hence wider so it just gives you a completely different look than what you would get with seventy millimeter or the digital cameras, I uh, wouldn't be surprised. A lot of them are shooting on the equivalent to 35 millimeter, but some might even be smaller. Mm. So there, there can be a pretty drastic difference. So I think I definitely got to see that movie. Yeah, I had yeah. a friend ask me, you know, well, I can't get there. Am I going to, you know, still enjoy seeing it on DVD or whatever? Yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, why wouldn't they be able to make a good digital transfer of a 70 millimeter film? Um, yeah, you you definitely still see the benefits, especially on Blu-ray, right? Um, because again, it's one of the big differences is the perspective and the uh, the shorter depth of field that you get with the set, this larger negative. So once yeah, once it's digitized, you'll still see the effect of of the seventy millimeter camera. Mm-hmm. will still come through. Right, right. Yeah. It's kind of like when I was in college and I watched Reservoir Dogs on VHS. I loved it. I rewound it. I watched it again on VHS. It didn't matter the format. It was a storytelling that was going on. Yeah. But I bet if 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 you watch then watched it again on a Blu-ray mm-hmm. or or get or you know, saw a pro- proper yeah, yeah. movie theater type of thing, you'd be like, "Whoa." Yeah. 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 So, definitely, definitely. Just as another quick aside, 
Another crazy Western that I managed to see is Bone Tomahawk. Have you heard of that one? No. Bone Tomahawk is kind of like a direct-to-DVD, basically, or direct-to-whatever cable Western starring Kurt Russell and uh, Patrick Wilson, Matthew Fox. But it's about the small town that gets roped into one of their ladies gets kidnapped along with another person or two by cannibalistic savages in the Old West. So it's a Western, and they have to go into this crazy land of the crazy cannibal savages to try to save the humane uh, Western people. And Kurt Russell leads a band of adventurers that have to go try to rescue these people. And it is brutal in the second act. It is utterly brutal. The violence is just... Yeah. I mean, wow. I mean, for anyone who's seen like Eli Roth films, yeah, don't worry, you'll be fine. But <laughs> for someone who's just, I'm going to watch this cool Western, there's some pretty gross violence in it that I was just like, whoa, no, you didn't. I enjoyed it. It was no Hateful Eight by any means. And it seemed like it was shot on a studio lot for parts of it until they go on their big adventure. Uh, and it was this stilted dialogue. And it was like night and day when you see something like Hateful Eight and you see the artistry, you know, in play. And then you see something like this. You're like, oh, OK, well, that's a movie, you know, and that's a film. Um, but it was totally enjoyable for a rental evening. Kurt Russell chewing up the scenes again in uh, a Western. I don't know. He's going through a phase, I guess. Yeah. Well, and then The Revenant, Leonardo DiCaprio's film. I haven't seen that one either. I went to Star Wars and watched some uh, movies on, uh, you know, TV and. DVD in that. And I I do want to give a, a shout out for the uh, Netflix DVD service. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't sponsor us or anything like that. But, you know, everybody, their streaming's real big now, and that's cool. But when you get the DVD, there's just so many more to choose from. And, mm-hmm. and if you sign up for Blu-ray, which is just higher quality, which is good, you know, you don't have to worry about download bandwidth through your internet or anything like right, that. And right. it's just a really good service. And I, I just want to give it a thumbs up as <laughs> it's kind of fading in popularity now. Well, I'm, I use the service myself too, like, right. because I need the but, wider catalog because yeah. I, I just watch so much stuff. Yeah. And the things I want to watch are always these crazy, you know, offbeat things. I right. think that's how I got bone Tomahawk is through the DVD service. Cause I don't right. think they had it streaming quick enough. And, and Exactly. So I, I, I just want to uh, point that out, that it's a really good option. Mm-hmm. More people maybe want to check it out. We I should mean, get sponsored is, by them, man. They should sponsor us. <laughs> they updated their mobile <sighs> app. Did you use their mobile app at all? Because I do, no. too. I feel like we're doing a total ad, but... Uh, yeah, the, this the, is... <laughs> maybe they'll just... Okay, <laughs> maybe Net, they'll hear this. Netflix, <laughs> just just get a stack of hundreds, wrap it up in brown paper and mail it to the PO box. Yes. You can get the, you know, number <laughs> off the website. Uh, but, um, but yeah, they, they, up, I use the mobile app all the time and they updated it and it, it works really well. It's probably what HTML five or something. And it, it does a good job of giving me better options because sometimes I run out of options in my queue and I need to, I need to do a little searching to see what's new and what's coming up and when's it coming up. And then, Sometimes I'll put my name down for something that's not released yet, and then when it is released, they'll just pop it in the mail immediately because my queue is kind of shallow at the moment. <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah, it's it's cool. So anyway, you know, I put on things there that we're doing shows on. Often I don't get to them mm-hmm. in time for the show. Or the, I'll, put mul- later. I'll put multiple things on the list, and I'll get through one or two of them, but then the others 
come much later. <laughs> well, I recently recently watched one that I uh, it was just a, just a bunch of music videos stuck together, but it had a Link Ray video, awesome on it, and uh, yeah, it was just you know another Link Ray, just same stuff we talked about before, but then it had all these other bands. Some were maybe not so great, but uh, a lot of them are pretty good. But there's just one band. I'm curious if you've ever heard of them, okay. and this is worth you know a five minute investment to track down the video on YouTube or something like that. But the band is called Empress of Fur. Empress of Fur. Yes. No, you haven't heard of them. No, I was well, hoping you'd say like Radio Birdman or something like that. Yeah. But nope. No, no. <laughs> I will have to now deep dive. Empress of Fur. So, yeah, that's just a little. Uh, you know, check them out. I've only. Heard seen the one song so far i haven't bothered playing any of the other songs is it an older band or a new band or they are current as They're far current. as i know yeah but they but this dvd was from maybe 10 years ago or more so okay. uh they've been around all right often I'll, I'll make a note of that one and i'll look them up yeah so i just i, I just got an album uh by a band called proto martyr that i i tend to like a lot they got a oh, song yeah. called pontiac 87 that's a pretty good tune, and they're coming through the frequency in, I don't know, a couple months, and I'm going to try to get to that show. Cool. Don't know if I'm going to make the Weird Al show in August, because I'm sure that's going to sell out, and tickets are going from like anywhere between $75 and $250. Weird Al? For Weird Al Yankovic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, and I love the guy. It's the mandatory fun tour, and the album is a hoot. The album is really worthwhile. But yeah, Weird Al. Like, who would have who would have thought he'd be drawing that much? Did you see the? Uh, they had a Weird Weird Al episode on the uh, sitcom The Goldbergs. No, I don't know if you ever watched that. I, I've only caught little bits of it, but it looks really good. Yeah, yeah. So the one kid, the main character, he has this obsession with Weird oh, Al. God, that was probably me back then. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably me. Yeah, <laughs> probably on the Beat It album or something. The yeah, I'm Fat album. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you should track that down too, I guess. I did want to say about The Revenant, though, that the director of that is Alejandro Inaritu. And the reason I want to mention that director's name is he's the guy who did Birdman, which is a really great Michael Keaton film. So I really love the director, and I think that uh, The Revenant, I, I know that you know Hollywood is going to do their, I hope, I hope they're just going to do a let's give Leo an Academy Award because the guy deserves it, he's... He's paid yeah. his dues and and he's white, so that's fine. <laughs> yeah, he's he's put together some good performances. <laughs> it's just funny how the Academy Awards are so white this year, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I I thought he earned it, but I I also agree with some of the critics that are saying, well, you know, it's not a brilliant. I mean, it is a great performance, but what he's being asked to do is like gruelingly torture his body by living in the woods for months at a time filming this film. Versus some things that are different styles of, you know, deep acting where you're really, you know, doing your best. Like I thought Michael Keaton should have won Best Actor for Birdman because he really put it all on the table for that film. And that was the saddest part of that Academy Awards is the scene where the other guy won and then they cut to Michael Keaton and they show him slowly putting away and folding his uh, speech <laughs> that, he, oh. that he, had, he had out and ready to go. He looks down and he folds it up and he puts it in his pocket. <laughs> So sad. I love Michael Keaton. What award was that for? Uh, best actor in the Oscars. Yeah, in the Oscars. Have they had the Oscars already? No, that uh, that was last year. Last year. Okay. Yeah. So this yeah, is coming confusing up. Confusing me here. Yeah, they're they're next Monday, the twenty eighth. 
Okay. Right? Yeah. So uh, that'd be Sunday the 20th. Yeah, probably Sunday the 28th. Yeah. They're, they're coming up. They haven't happened yet. By the time you hear this, I'm hoping uh, Leonardo DiCaprio has won uh, an Academy Award just because I, I kind of like the idea. Yeah. But this whole Jada Pinkett Smith boycotting the Oscars because it's not black enough, I think, is a big pile of bullshit. And, you know. Well, they're going to, I forget what they call it, but they're going to have, uh, I think Chris Rock's brother is doing a. They're calling it something different, but it's basically like Black Oscars. Yeah. John, oh, was so it John big. Oliver? Someone did the Black Academy Awards or Black was that Academy. the Daily Show? Someone was making fun yeah, of the Black Academy Awards. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like when you have the Negro League baseball and yeah. everything. Yeah. Uh, it's. I think that I think the criticism will help the Academy um, maybe diversify what's happening in film. But the problem is so rooted in every th- part of film because you have big name directors that won't hire, you know, Egyptian people to play Egyptian people in films because they won't draw Americans to go see the movie if it's not Jake Gyllenhaal. So you have this pressure to yeah. hire the famous people and the famous people are generally, you know, white people. And so there's this pull to hire yeah. them for everything. And, and I, I understand the the business mechanics behind it, but there's also... Uh, there's there's also a lot of other things going on there, and I I hope it pushes more diversity. But if you look at some, I don't know who it was, but I've seen a lot of really cool charts on ethnic diversity. And if you uh-huh. look at ethnic diversity based on your your average job and how many people on an average job are black or Latino or white, uh, generally the population that's getting screwed over most in film is the Latino culture because they are not as much of a minority and they should be better represented and they're not. So hmm. it's not just black people that are yeah, they're marginalized. Kind of, they're kind of stereotyped as, <laughs> yeah. as these are the drug drug dealers yeah. or the uh, housekeepers. Right. Yeah. And, and you and see that happen to Middle Eastern actors too where they get stuck being terrorists, terrorists. on 24 and that's about all they can yeah, get. Yeah, um, But I And I understand that there's a problem, but when you look at – when you look at how many actors there are of all the different demographics, even if you evenly distributed, like say we say we evenly distributed awards to every actor randomly based on their color, you would end up with a skewed uh, white Academy Awards still. So are you going to overcompensate? You know, how are you going to how can oh, you, you meet just goals? because the. Uh... Just because there's more uh, white people in the industry in the SAG. Yeah. Yeah. in the Screen yeah. Actors Guild. So, yeah, I wonder if there's any way to um, – I don't know how hard it is to get in the Screen yeah. Actors Guild if, uh, if, if you know, if thousands of black people started mm-hmm. putting out, you know, iPhone-produced uh, movies. And <laughs> well, that's the problem. They're Academy Awards, and so, yeah, they're, yeah, they're going but, for something but, different. But, I mean, if, if you uh, – I don't know what it takes to join the Academy and, and, yeah. and be able to vote. I just so. I just worry about jingoistic tokenism. You know, if you're going to just right. make sure black people are on the ballot, just to then have black it doesn't mean the ballot, anything. Then yeah, you want to get it to right. the deserving actors, right? And it'd be nice to but, get some more deserving actors of color in there. Um, that'd be nice. I'm just saying that it's it's still skewed, and I don't know how you're gonna. I'm glad I don't have to solve that problem because right. that's a deeper problem. <laughs> yeah, like I talked about Finn. He was my favorite character in that movie, and. Mm-hmm. And it was because he put together a really cool character, I thought. Mm-hmm. And well, uh, Wookie Lives Matter, and, and I thought Chewbacca put in a goddamn good performance. He did, he did excellent <laughs> so too. But yeah, so the Wookies and uh, Finn was uh, African American, so or black, whatever. I don't know what nation he was from. Well, he's not African American uh, if this is uh, Star Wars. A long time ago, in a galaxy uh, far, far away, far, far galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, 
I did like BB-8 in the film a lot. I, I was surprised because yeah. I thought I was going to hate BB-8. I really, yeah. I went into it thinking, oh God, they're replacing R2-D2 with some cute little schmoo thing. And But someone was telling me that BB-8 actually works. It's not CGI. Mm-hmm. So apparently um, Abrams made an appearance when yeah. people were talking about BB-8 and, and BB-8 just rolled out. Yeah, I don't yeah. think they had BB-8 working to that degree during the filming, but then towards the end of filming, they figured out how to make a working BB-8 and get it to work work. There we go. Yeah. But, but they did have puppeteers, and you can see some demos of what the puppeteers did and how they made BB-8 work and everything. Um, yeah. One of the things that bugged me was Neil deGrasse Tyson. Did you hear his criticisms? He criticizes everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I heard someone call him a, what, professional fun ruiner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much on point. But I'm yeah. like, how do you know they don't have some kind of special alien metal that causes BB-8 not to skid on sand? Maybe he's, you know, special alien technology or yeah. something. But I just feel like he's, he should slow down on his his fun ruining because that's the whole idea of those kind of films uh-huh. is uh, suspension of disbelief because, you know, not right. everything is... Unlike, a, yeah, a Star Wars movie, this one... It, it's obviously not trying to be super realistic. Well, even The Martian is a hard science fiction film that was fantastic, but he had to take, like, I think we've talked about this, he had to make um, changes to reality because you needed to have a drama that caused him to get left behind, and the drama was right. the spaceship tipping over. But in truth, Martian winds would never tip over a spaceship. They're not powerful enough. There's not enough power uh, behind the wind to cause that kind of a problem. But they're like, yeah, that's a plot we'll make that plot loophole work, you know? And yeah, even hard science, even the best tend to take a shortcut or two here and there. Oh yeah. And I'm fine with that. Right. Yeah. And you know, you got to do stuff to get the show done. And if you haven't finished making the, uh, the set for your shuttlecraft, you invent transporters <laughs> and just beam everybody down the planet. <laughs> yep. so. You can't afford it. <laughs> uh-huh. Can't afford to shoot those scenes. <laughs> you do what you gotta do I hear they're working on a new Star Trek TV series Oh really? Yeah, I haven't heard much details about it But I've, I've heard it's in the works um, Cross my fingers, I guess I just rewatched the uh, first episode of the animated series <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy <laughs> That was fun <laughs> Nice They got you know a lot of the original actors in that Have you watched The Expanse at all? The Expanse, no. It's a new sci-fi channel show that they put a lot of money into sets and design to try to make a Battlestar Galactica-style intercultural um, warring parties between Earth culture, Mars culture, the Belt culture, and it, it's pretty interesting, and I, I kind of enjoyed the first season. I don't know how, you know, plot-wise they would, you know, keep going, but I thought it was worthwhile, but I know it's got mixed reviews, and I know not everybody loved it. But I thought it was pretty, and I thought it was uh, nice, nice, uh, nice sci-fi. A good change from, you know, Sharknado Five or whatever. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's nice yeah. to see them investing into productions that you know take a little bit of effort to create worlds, world building kind of science fiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah I liked it. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, you want to talk about any of the politics stuff that's driving you crazy lately? Oh. <laughs> yeah, we can get into politics. People love to hear us talk about politics. But first, I heard <laughs> Billy Gibbons is going to start a show where he uh, builds hot rods. Really? So, in the original TV show category. Huh. Like, 
there's never been a musician building hot rods before, but <laughs> I'm joking. Of course there has, but, uh, what monster style hot rods or I don't know what kind of hot, <laughs> I just heard the people talking about it on the radio. I have known nothing about it. <laughs> okay. So, um, I'd yeah. like to talk about the FBI and the Apple situation. I would like to talk about that too. It's, it's frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Because it's a PR war going on right now when it shouldn't be a PR war. It shouldn't be the FBI versus Apple in a public discussion where yeah. they're trying to say that, you know, Apple is failing security in some way. Yeah. And, and the news coverage, um, the, the mainstream news has been a, a kind of weak on this. It's like, well, how come There's they would just don't do it for that one? What about the safety of people? Have you looked and, into the encryption on the Apple phones? Uh, um, it's pretty n- excellent. Not in detail. <laughs> it's pretty excellent. Yeah, um, they have a they have a 256 bit encryption that's linked to a passcode created by the user, and okay, that's what makes them a little bit you know iPhones themselves harder to steal. Newer iPhones have harder encryption, and that encryption didn't really hit until around the you know nine. Uh, OS 9 mm-hmm. area uh, before they were a little more hackable. And so as a deterrent for thefts, they created this real high security level because Apple's goal was to try to get people to put everything in their phone. They wanted their banking information. They wanted to use Apple Pay and get credit cards in there and everything. So they yeah. added this chip and it's chip encryption that links you know, to that code. And if that code matches the chip, then they'll it'll open. But if you try over and over again, it'll eventually... You've got choices. You can make it lock your phone and no one can ever open it or you know, you'd have to open it later or you can set it to make the code have to get entered after an increasing amount of time each time you try uh-huh. or on the default. And this is an older Apple um, iPhone 5C. So on that model, um, there's just a, every 80 milliseconds. You can only try it so many times and then it will mm-hmm. it will lock out. So they've made it... Uh, and then there's another setting you can switch where after 10 tries and failures, it erases all the data off the phone. Yeah. Totally fantastic. So the FBI, they want more guesses, basically. Right. The FBI wants more guesses and faster guesses because the idea yeah. is, you know, for, say, this horrible terrorist criminal that they're trying to get into the phone of, who, you know, is a perfect example for the FBI to claim that they really need this, um, even though the miscreant is dead and his wife is dead. And let's remember, they have all the metadata. They know everyone he called from this phone. They know every number he called. Uh, they have all that data already. Uh-huh. And he had other phones that were destroyed, uh, so they can't have that layer. But they know, you know, what was called. So, what what are they going to find on this phone? Um, I'm not exactly sure. But that's the that's the question. Right. Is when he's dead, they know every number he's called from this phone. They have all that information. Why are they still uh-huh. pushing Apple? I think they're pushing Apple because they're trying to get us all. To stop using encryption, and they're this is the same guy who tried to outlaw encryption in the first place. So I mean, uh-huh. there's there's a narrative there. So they want to be able to try over and over again. And if he's got a four digit passcode on this phone, it'll take him about five and a half days to get into it. You know, of of multiple is it tries. Alphanumeric or just numeric? Just numeric, generally. I, I think. Well, then that's just ten thousand shots. Yeah, I'm not sure on that model if if you're able to do that or not. I'd have to check. I, I know that. 
for for a six digit passcode. See, that's the thing is you know you can put it as many as you want, but it it suggests you start at a six, and then you can drop it down if you want to. And that's yeah. the thing is the more you drop it down, the easier it is to um, right hard, hard break that. Passcode. But of course, if the FBI doesn't know the number of digits in the right. passcode, then that makes it harder for them. Right. right. They have to start at one and, and move up and they want to have this millisecond thing removed from this specific phone. But right. creating a tool that would remove it from that specific phone would remove it from all other existing phones and, everywhere. And this is, uh, <laughs> the Apple programmers would have to start from, uh, they don't necessarily know how to do this. So they have to invest time to figure it out. Right. And that's where they're arguing an undue burden that we would have to create right. this to do that. And the uh, the other problem is that that opens the you know Pandora's box, then in theory any nation state could ask any device manufacturer to build a backdoor for them. Well, that's the or, thing. Or, uh, yeah, if someone's going to build a way to build a backdoor or a way to hack into the system, and there's gray hat hackers that could probably do this very easily, but yeah. Um, if someone's going to build it, it will become available. It's, oh, we, we're oh, going to yeah. keep it away from everyone. No, it will get out. Someone yeah. will get their hands on it, and it will exactly. be then in everyone's hands, and no phone will be, you know, securely and encrypted And then encryption anymore. is gone. And and that's <clears throat> that's True. where the real debate is. I'm, you know, my morning news shows, they just talk about, oh, it's FBI versus the Apple. Apple isn't being nice helping stop terrorism. I've heard worse. I've heard them say that, not that they're being nice, but they're grandstanding for their own business opportunities to show that they've got good privacy so people will buy yeah. more Apple products. But the real debate <laughs> yeah. is, do we or don't we have encryption? Do we allow these back doors? In actuality, the FBI is standing more or less by themselves on this. Well, even uh, the NSA has said this is a bad idea. Right. All these other <laughs> spook organizations yeah. are like, uh, no, we kind of want to keep encryption because, you know, they need it for their stuff. American business needs encryption because you don't want your trade secrets to be uh, hacked in by uh, competitive partners from other countries. And Right. And Obama it, has sided with the FBI on this. Right. Which questions his judgment a little bit. Um, yeah, it's it's very frustrating. And and I yeah. also want, you know, and I know that I, I know some friends who are not Apple fanboys and don't love Apple or whatever, but even even they are saying, well, this is good. And even mm -hmm. people like Bill Gates and Bill Gates got called out because he was claimed to have been on the side of the FBI. And then he had to come out and explain himself that he wasn't, you know, and, and Microsoft. Oh, yeah. and Yeah. And he backpedaled it a little bit. Bill doesn't want to give too much, but he yeah. gave enough to say that there were questions raised into this kind of security. Google has jumped onto this. And I, I think Google right. Google wants everybody's metadata and they want their data. So they're not as big of a privacy protector, but they understand that they want their people to be feeling comfortable giving data to Google in a way. You know, So they yeah. have a different interest in privacy that Apple has been able to very clearly say that they don't have. Yeah, because Apple isn't into this... Selling metadata. Selling advertising and all that kind right, of stuff. Right, But yeah, even if you hate Apple, if Apple loses this case, that's going to affect... Well, it's precedent. Precedent. So it affects the Android phones. Yep. It affects the Windows phones. If you're big and open source, it'll affect the Ubuntu phones, uh, which may be coming in the future. Well, so yeah, I don't know if this is vaporware or not, but, but it, there's a Ubuntu is working on it. And yeah, yeah. It, it could, it could, uh, let's just, you know, 
let's take it to the super extreme, it could outlaw encryption. Encryption itself could be outlawed as a, we could be told we're not allowed privacy, we don't deserve it because we can't be trusted with it because there might yeah. be a terrorist among the millions so of us. So from now on out, we have to wear our underwear on the outside of <laughs> right, our pants. Right, We might yeah, as well. Everybody has yeah. to see what kind of underwear you have. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, it's got to be public. But but on the on the lighter side of it where you don't take it to the full extreme, the idea is that a backdoor will be created that will be usable at any time against people by your own government, by another government, by hackers, right. by anyone who can get their hands on the right. uh, device. So and I fear that world more because I won't know oh, yeah. you know where my privacy is. I just got stands. a phone call this week from um, a fake company acting as a cover for a criminal's organization. That was trying to get, you know, say that, oh, your computer hasn't been hacked, so we've got to help you fix it. So could you log in and change <laughs> yeah. some stuff for us? And Did I tell you, you that know? story in the podcast that that happened to me a while back? It happens to everybody, yeah. I think. They're just going through the numbers. But yeah, it happened to me this week. I called the Viking Princess over and I put yeah. them on speakerphone. And I had to go find a Windows keyboard because I use it in Apple. And I, I wanted to make sure I could pretend that I was on a Windows keyboard on a real Windows machine. Because I didn't okay. remember... You know, you hold down the control key and then hold down this key and then hit that button. I'd be like, hold down control and then hit that button. And then, no, 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 hold them at the same time down and then hit this <laughs> button. I'm like, okay, I, I held them. Nothing happened. What did you do? I held the two down and then I let go and I held the other button. No, you hold down the two and hit the third <laughs> button. And, and he got so mad at me. And then eventually I kept him on the phone for a solid 15 minutes. And my daughter and yeah. I were just, she was trying not to laugh because I had it on speakerphone so she could hear him. And at the end of it, I, I, I said, I'm not going to do that. What do you think? I'm an idiot. And he, and he immediately went, you got that. Blah, 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 and he started swearing at me so fast <laughs> and so furiously. Uh, he was really angry. Probably uh -huh. not the best idea, but it was a lot of fun to see what they were oh, trying yeah. to get, you know, Windows users to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, I, I'm pro Apple on this and I'm worried. Okay. So we lost Scalia and in some, in some ways, Scalia you know, as as much as I didn't appreciate how he voted on things, might have been a, d a defender of Apple on this issue. Maybe it's hard Maybe. to tell, but he's gone now. So yeah, with well, the, if Obama's with the FBI, I guess he'd have to go with Apple on that one. But exactly, <laughs> exactly <laughs> in a way, way. <laughs> as divided as things are. But if it falls to a lower court, I'm not sure the lower court that it falls to is going to rule in Apple's favor because they might be, you know, swayed by uh, the FBI to go the other way. Yeah, for, and. and there will probably be an appeal. No, oh, yeah, no matter there will be an who, appeal. No matter who wins. Yeah it, yeah, it will probably end up in the Supreme Court at this point. And, and Apple just mm -hmm. denied the uh, – they asked for uh, the FBI to vacate today. So this has really been ongoing, and a lot, of, a lot has been happening. And mm -hmm. everyone's point-counterpointing. And I think um, Tim Cook's doing a great job trying to lay out the rationality of why they shouldn't have to do this. Yeah. One of the most interesting things is code – is free speech. You know, there's rulings that have ruled that code is free speech and corporations are entities. So forcing uh -huh. a corporation to say something against their will is a violation of free speech. So they've got a they've got a pretty strong first, you know, first amendment, fourth amendment, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> it ties into a lot of different amendments, but it's so weird that a corporation I'll, you and, know, and I've always been upset about corporations being yeah, people. Yeah, and I suspect it would violate, possibly violate the Apple privacy agreement that you get when you 
buy an iPhone. Right, but they could change the terms of agreement at any point. I suppose, But, but the yeah. point is them being forced to write something against their will and it having an undue burden. And the undue burden could not only be the fact that they would have to create a facility to bring in phones to program this and hire coders and do all this work to decode, uh, you know, de-encrypt the phone – but also, they could the undue burden could be the loss of people buying iPhones because they're unable to have the encryption level that they were promised originally. Right. So they could try to claim undue burden in a lot of different ways, and I think that that's mm-hmm. a strong argument. And they're they're still going back to that writ that they always go back to the 1786. Oh yeah, it's um, from the 18th century. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those weird lawyer things where it probably doesn't apply today, but it, it's what some law there that's that's the fbi's excuse for doing this right 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 yeah well yeah they're and, just gonna keep pushing for it and and you know certainly it'd be great if they could you know if there's any else anybody else that was in on this san Bernardino tragedy if they could catch them but this isn't anything new where you always had going back to ancient cavemen you know you had stones that ug would give to Gog, and uh, <laughs> with the secret message, and and then a Gog would destroy the stones, so no one knows what he was ever told. You know, this is Gog, the sh- the sheriff back then. He he wasn't able to get that message. So this is the law enforcement traditionally does not have all the information yet they have to use the information they have right. to do the best they can these are reasonable so, barriers to law enforcement and yeah. you know the the right to privacy the right to you know no illegal search and seizure uh, these are these are important rights that i think people deserve the the problem is terrorism and the idea that we should all give up our freedom to make law enforcement's job easier and i do not think that's the case and the thing about having mm-hmm. A seven billion people on the planet is there's always going to be a few terrorists out there. That's always going to be a fear, and mm-hmm. it shouldn't be an undue fear. You're more likely to die in a car accident than in a terrorist attack. We should yeah. maybe think about that. And, and there, there are ways. <laughs> I mean, you may be enabling the terrorists if you're allowing them to hack into your phone because you built back doors into all the phones. This ruling could help them as much as the FBI. But, so it's not. This is not an absolute thing where like this will magically fix everything if right. the FBI wins. But it's a game law enforcement always plays where law enforcement wants to get as much access to your privacy yeah. as they possibly can. And our job by supporting, I support groups like the Electronic Frontiers Foundation. You know, the EFF does a good job trying mm-hmm. to get involved in these things and get publicity out so people understand the issues better because we deserve digital privacy just like we deserve to have a lock on our door. And telling us that we can't have digital privacy is at this current day and age, very much like telling you you cannot lock your door and the police can walk through your house at any time. And and right. I know I'm taking it to an extreme, and I know people are like, oh, that's not what you – they just want to get into that one phone. But you got to understand. Yeah, no, multiple people yeah. have said they, they have like dozens or hundreds of phones they want to yeah, look at. the FBI's got a, a lot yeah. of phones. They have a list of phones. And Apple's already individually, before they made encryption as hard as they have, they have helped law enforcement look at those phones. And the – Overwhelming majority of the things that law enforcement is trying to get into these phones for are drug-related crimes of American citizens. They are not using this for terrorism. So that's the thing to keep in mind is they say terrorism, this is the big thing. And, you know, you Mm -hmm. say terrorism, everyone feels like, oh, you say jump, how high, when can I come down? 
But this is not what they're using it for. They use terrorism as an excuse, and then they terrorize the population by taking away our freedoms and using it to prosecute other types of crimes. So I just find it very, very frustrating that, you know, a lot of people are siding with the FBI on this when they should be considering that they keep their banking records probably on their phone. You probably have a password manager that keeps all the passwords to all your different accounts online, all your personal correspondences, all your text messages, all your emails. Um, You probably access your bank through the phone. And that's what hackers do. Once they get into one thing, often they can chain and and just take over your whole... Right. you know, get into everything that's yours. Right. And I, my, my fear would mainly be about someone like hackers getting their hands on this code because I'm pretty sure the FBI, if they wanted to, and I'm, I'm extremely happy to find out that there is some problems. And the other thing is, one of the problems of this case is the phone itself belongs to San Bernardino County. The phone does not belong to the terrorist who shall remain nameless. They own the phone and they had given him the phone to use for work. So technically the phone is owned by... San Bernardino County. Oh, he was an employee of the yeah, county. Yeah, so that makes a bit okay. of a that makes a bit of a problem, I think, in Apple's argument. But it's still not completely undefeatable because even mm-hmm. though you've got access to something through work, sometimes you, you get to have some privacy on it. But uh-huh. but here's the thing: FBI told San Bernardino to change the password, even though they weren't at a Wi-Fi or a secure Wi-Fi point known to the phone. So it encrypts the data and locks the phone, basically. FBI made a fatal error in doing that, and I think FBI did that probably, you know, and this is the conspiracy theory uh, theorist in me, oh, yeah? to try to prove a point and get Apple to work on this phone because they could have had access to the data through the iCloud backup had they not changed the password. Oh, so they screwed up? Yes, they totally screwed up while the phone was in San Bernardino's county's hands. The FBI advised them to change the password. They did. And since the phone was not at one of its safe locations, it was unable to back up to the iCloud with the latest information on the phone, even though they had access to the other data that was backed up to the iCloud, right? So San Bernardino said, well, the FBI told us to change the password. (laughs) And the FBI had Uh no good answer for that, why they would uh, Uh say that. Uh, So there is some... Something afoot there, and and mm-hmm. I don't know the rationale for why they would do that. You never know if it's incompetence or some diabolical yeah. plot. I always say, when in doubt, you know, assume incompetence. So yeah. I, I like to jump to conspiracy theory. The FBI right. wants this case fun. to be a big deal, and I yeah. think you know that could be true. But I I probably am thinking it was incompetence that caused this. Maybe or mm-hmm. maybe someone was trying to problem solve it by changing the password. But but if you disagree yeah. and you think the FBI should have access to all of our encrypted data and all our phones, or you think I'm totally exaggerating this, send us an email at feedback at tankriot.com and let me know what you think. I, I'm open to other suggestions. I'd love to have my fears allayed, but I, I, I'm doubting it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if this is his work phone. Mm-hmm. There's, there's just not going to be a whole lot on that. It's unlikely. No, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's, there's nothing on this phone anymore. And I don't think Apple is, you know, stopping the, the true works of the yeah, FBI. This, is, this isn't the, you know, ultimate secret of ISIS is not yeah. going to be on there. One of the mothers of one of the kids who was killed in the attack has said that she stands with Apple. And she thinks that we deserve privacy. And that argument mm-hmm. of those who give up liberty for security don't deserve either. That, that old trope. But I think it's completely true. 
we as Americans should have yeah. privacy. I'm sorry about the rest of the country that, or the rest of the world that uh, the FBI will invade your privacy and the NSA will when they ever feel like it. But, but you know the, you know the Chinese and the. Yeah. Uh, all these other agencies are are prying into our computers, right, you know, right. calling us up, trying to get us to, you know, type on our keyboard <laughs> to hack into our computer. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I think it's a big issue, and I, I look forward to that hitting the Supreme Court, and I look forward to a Supreme Court appointment, and I don't see any good news for the GOP in blocking a Supreme Court appointment, but I also don't know what kind of appointee... Uh, Obama might bring to the table. I'm sure it would be better than anything Ted Cruz would bring to the table. <laughs> yeah, what but, the, um, the name that came out? It, I, it's a guy from Nevada. Mm-hmm. He's a Republican, but a more moderate Republican. I don't know anything about him. I think he might be the governor of Nevada right now. Okay. Yeah, so I I don't know if that's a a strategy just to drop that name out there to see if any Republicans. Falter. Falter. Like, ooh, a GP, GOP guy? But there's but, yeah. there's already talks that uh, come the next election cycle. I've seen some Pew Research polls that are saying that there's at least four seats that are in trouble for the GOP if they continue the obstructionist movement. So I don't know how they can hold up for 300-some days on this mm-hmm. Supreme Court justice appointment. I think they have to take their lumps, allow the appointment, and then, and then just lay low until the election because they're going to end up losing... They're going to end up oh, losing some yeah. seats. I, if they're not doing their job. They have to bring it to a vote. That's their job. It's Obama's job to come up with a name. You know, that's what he was hired who, to do. Who enforces Who enforces to Congress that they don't do their job? Like, that would be an interesting question. It, <laughs> well, it's the voters. Mm-hmm. Uh, ultimately, there could potentially be some legal action, but I am not an expert in this No, area, me neither. So but I don't know. the longest anyone's ever gone is roughly 100 and some days. So yeah. the fact that they would try to go 300 days is really ridiculous at this point. And as it is, at mm-hmm. 100 and some days, they're they're really looking at trashing their abilities to get mm-hmm. reelected. Um, and, of course, now the court is 4-4, and they're still going to hear cases. Right, so but you, they can only lay down they can only lay down a one you know sentence judgment, and then it drops back down to the lower court. And in yeah. in this in this current democracy in the United States. The lower courts, except the one that Apple might be in, the lower courts tend to be more liberal. Right. So that works in the favor of the liberals, but it doesn't work in the favor of the GOP. So the GOP, they're going to lose no matter what. So they should probably just put the appointment. I mean, maybe I shouldn't give them advice. I'm okay with them shooting themselves in the foot here. They're hoping to get Ted Cruz in there so he can, you know, nominate Attila the Hunt or whatever. Well, the people should speak and the people should have their voice heard. Uh, That's what they keep saying. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, that's why we have the president. They kind of did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know that the Democrats would be trying to pull some obstruction if it were a Republican. We know in the past that this has happened on both sides um, of the aisle, Mm -hmm. but it still seems an unrealistic goal of theirs to try to put it off completely until the next president. Yeah. The Democrats in the past have, have waited until the nominee has come up, and they've managed to shoot. I think they've shot some down. Uh, bork, 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 yeah, Bork. bork that, that's his name. <laughs> and, and that's a great name. So <laughs> that, that's bork, where the real debate hey, is, bork, is you know, once you have the nominee— is that person worthy of being a Supreme Court justice? Right. Not not the debate is like, well, there's no way on earth Obama can pick a good nominee. Well, everyone's lucky every now and then. Come on, <laughs> give him a chance. <laughs> it's a it's a yeah. pretty big deal. Um, uh-huh. that, was, that was kind of a shock. Yeah. But 
Well, I you know, I'm pretty sure the next one's going to be appointing at least two, we're thinking. I mean, they've been talking about the health of some of the other judges and Yeah. Yeah, it's looking like the Supreme Court's going to be in full complete movement, you know, over the yeah. next couple of years. Yeah. That's why well, that's why it'd be nice to get a Democrat in as president. So also in politics, uh we have uh presidential race they keep running they they yep and i think right as we speak the republicans are debating i have no idea what they're saying please clap yeah please clap <laughs> george or not george <laughs> but a jeb i've actually felt bad for jeb during parts of this campaign because <laughs> someone was calling it arrested jeb development <laughs> he had to get his mom out to campaign for it i mean man oh. and his mom is not his mom is like, uh, I'm, I don't know, a Minnesota mom or something. He's not too bad. He's not too- <laughs> you know, it's like, no, just actually say something nice. Well, yeah. he didn't totally fail. <laughs> He's not the worst. There's worse people out there you could choose. Her, her, yeah. her, her, her condemnation. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but, you know, she was trying. You could just tell that that was like a really old woman trying to say something nice. And- yeah. Yeah. Didn't go well. It's just, but the good thing is uh, he burned through a lot of cash from a lot of right-wing donors, so. My favorite, you know. <laughs> my favorite thing of the election cycle currently, and, and I know it's a couple weeks old, but we haven't talked in a couple months. Um, yeah. My favorite thing was Chris Christie versus Marco Rubio. Oh, the robot thing? Oh my God, it was so (laughs) brutal and on point because, you know, everyone knew, uh, I'm hearing from a a lot of political insiders are writing their stories that we all knew that someone was going to call Rubio on this at some point, but they didn't know it was going to be Christian as Uh brutal as it was. But if you can find the video for that, Rubio gives his 25 second, you know, spiel. He'll start answering a question about something and then he'd go right into his spiel about let us dispel with this fantasy that Obama doesn't know what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. And when I'm president, I will change America. And then Chris By not knowing what I'm doing. (laughs) I don't know. was like, there he goes again. Yeah. He says, he starts saying something and it's 25 seconds of the same thing that he always says. all And and he did it four times. It was it was really bad, really hard on him. And yeah. after I after I thought Jeb was, you know, the Republicans lost Jeb as their anointed son, I thought, well, they're going to go right to Marco Rubio, and then he suffers these massive losses oh, because yeah. of that. Um, and then Trump keeps stomping on everybody. Yeah, I okay on the drive over here. <laughs> it's nothing on FM, so I flip over to AM and like searching for stations. Ooh. I pick up this station. Station. Okay, we're in tropical Madison, Wisconsin. <laughs> I picked up a station from. Atlanta, oh, wow. Atlanta, Georgia. They're talking about Peachtree Street, which is, you know, it's like the only road they have. Just, on all... shortwave radio or something? <laughs> yeah, well, AM, uh, amplitude yeah, modulation. Know, know. You know, it just bounces <laughs> through the, and, and you can get them radio stations from anywhere on That's AM. Crazy. And they're talking about Rubio, and he's kind of talking, boy, you know, I, I think when he got in the race, this is what the radio was saying. He wasn't really shooting for president. He was just trying to be get become the vice president. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. And and now he's like the only one left that the you know powers that be want. So now it's like all on his shoulders to try to win the whole thing. And he, well, you know, yeah, the, he's just not up to it. He's yeah. You yeah. know, the DNC wants Hillary, and you know they've they've changed the rules. You know, I don't oh, know. If you saw a week or so ago where they opened up funding ability uh, for outside funding. 
So I haven't heard that detail. Yeah, they changed outside funding laws so she could get more money, or so everybody could get more money, money. from corporate donors. Um, wow! But it's basically just for Hillary. But Bernie's not taking it because that's his whole yeah, campaign exactly. point. I, I heard yeah. he released his Goldman Sachs speeches too. <laughs> or Hillary did? Uh, Bernie Sanders. Bernie did? did? Yeah, nothing. <laughs> oh, nothing. <laughs> yeah, nothing. He never spoke to Goldman Sachs. <laughs> I don't speak at Goldman Sachs. Yeah, but um, but but you know they want Hillary on the on the Democrat side, but you know on the Republican side they've they've always wanted someone like Bush or someone like Rubio. Those were the reasonable Republican candidates. I mean, I say reasonable, but those you mean were, the Republicans wanted those. Yeah, the Republicans the wanted the mainstream. Yeah, no, the Republican uh, you know caucus wanted those characters to be. Yeah, the Goldman Sachs Republicans. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. But but they're really ending up with Trump and, you know, Cruz. And, you know, one of them yeah. is going to flame out. And if it's Trump, he'll end up as a third party. But, you know, if it's Cruz, I don't see Trump, you know, thinking Cruz would be a proper running mate. I don't know what Trump would uh, do if he oh. either gets the nomination by some fluke or he uh, oh, for, has for to the, go independent. For the VP? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Trump could pick. He could pick anybody. Right, right. And Super he, Tuesday is right around the corner. But he could pick an establishment guy to help give him establishment. Um, oh, yeah. And from a state authority. that he he's, thinks he's on the fence. You know, right. he'll pick someone from a state right. that he needs to win. Yeah, and I, 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 wouldn't, um, I wouldn't put it past him to pick a regular establishment candidate. But it's really turned into a way more interesting election than I was expecting. I, I didn't realize yeah. the American political system had been so corrupted <laughs> oh, <laughs> to that, end up with such a weird election that's, cycle. That's why I, I, I really enjoy Bernie's point. It, mm-hmm. and, and you start seeing where all the corruption is the close, the more you look. The whole superdelegates thing with the Democrats. Right. So you have all these corporate-bought yeah. uh, politicians – and and they get a get a vote for president along with the states. That's why Hillary has all those because mm-hmm. it's all the corporate money, right? Well, you know when they yeah. created this whole primary caucus system, the idea was to give the general people an idea that they have a choice and a vote a rather choice. than the you know the Democrat, the, the DNC, power elite, yeah. the power elite going in a back room and coming out with their candidate, and then right. blah blah blah. There's our candidate. It's kind of like a Wizard of Oz, man behind the curtain thing, still, right? And and I. So I, what I would do is I think we should start getting the word out that this whole superdelegate thing is kind of stupid and it should be limited <laughs> as maybe just a tiebreaker well, or something mind, like keep that. Keep in mind, yeah. if someone's truly winning the popular vote, superdelegates do change their votes. Um, yeah, they can. Right. And they, they do. Can. Like when Obama won, they changed their votes to Obama because you don't want to be, dear leader, I want to I wanna be, I'm on board with you as president. So it's a... right. Can be very but last minute. It's possible that Bernie will win the popular votes, mm-hmm. but Hillary will win the delegate votes because of the super delegates. Right. And I think if that happens, I would encourage people to be upset and yeah. and and let the Democratic Party know that they are upset. Well, b- because that's not a good thing. I also hear a lot of talk uh, lately about how the Democrats need to just get in line and be nicer to other Democrats and each other. We can't be arguing about Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton right now. There's other Republicans, and no one should be arguing ever about anything. So you yeah. just say you're going to vote for Hillary because uh, you're going to vote for whoever gets the nomination. I'm like, yeah, you're just saying you got to vote for Hillary because Hillary's going to get the nomination. There are people out there that, in general, are very troubled and stressed out by arguments. Oh, true, true. You, you know, when you're in a family gathering and, and you're, you know, 
trying to debate, uh, you know, whether we should go out for burgers or pizza mm-hmm. or something, and, and it, they get stressed out because yeah. they just don't like. And I understand the argument. that. I understand and, uh, that. But but this but is a primary time. This is the time this is when the there's time to do it. That's what it's for. There's different voices out there. Yeah. And do you like one voice is saying over the other voice? I think we should talk about it. And yeah, we shouldn't like. You know, should be polite. Dip one in but, pig vomit, and you know we yeah. should be like talking reasonably about them, right? Yeah. Um, but but I I, did, I don't know if you saw today, but uh, the the witch Hillary hashtag broke out on Twitter today. I didn't see the 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 hashtag. Oh my god! But I I think I'm I read an article that I'm guessing is the source <laughs> because okay. uh, let's see, she had a private fundraising event, mm-hmm. and someone bought. A ticket had paid five hundred bucks so this uh, black protester could attend, and this protester asked Hillary about a comment she made. What was it? Nineteen ninety four, roughly ninety four, ninety six. Yeah, um, calling uh, what black people in inner cities super predators or something like that. Well, and and, you probably know more. Yeah, this all stems from the fact that Bill Clinton is involved with the three strikes laws and the the crime okay. bill that yeah. caused the whole three strikes thing that caused and so building many building the prison industrial com- yeah, complex well not building yeah. it but really getting it stoked you know yeah. stoking those yeah. flames a lot of people have ended up in prison in America we've talked about our prison rates we have more people in prison than any other nation in the world right and, and that's ridiculous and we are a horrible country because of it but i love our country yeah bill clinton had a great uh, great, great role in that, and Hillary was uh, pushing on that as well. And she said, as part of her talking points during a speech, that we've got to face the facts. And you, th- this video is totally available. You got to face the facts. Some of these people are super predators, and we've got to bring them to heal. So her point was, you know, let's dehumanize the urban blacks and call them something that sounds really animalistic which is you know back to jim crow baloney and that was to push the three strikes laws and then this protester held up a sign that said you know bring we've got to bring them to heal and i was like when i first saw it i was like what is this about i don't even know what's going on and then the protester was was kind of rudely yelling at hillary clinton saying you owe us an apology you called all black people super predators and then Hillary was trying to trying to say, well, if you want to have a debate or we can talk about what I think now, you should apologize. And, and then people started booing the woman. So it was a very intense scene. Wow. And at the end of it, Hillary was like, do you want to just yell about it or, or talk about it? As the woman was being dragged out, basically, she said, because I want to talk about the issues that matter to me. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, oh like, my god, raising money for my campaign. So, so then, yeah, then the whole um, hashtag which Hillary started popping up. Like, which Hillary do you want? The one that's funded by Goldman Sachs uh-huh. or claims she's going to stop Goldman Sachs? You know, yeah. Um, so, so there is this problem with Hillary and her. I, I don't know. This is what killed someone like John Kerry years ago, the flip flopper. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, because if you're a politician long enough, you generally will say things. I know that Dan Savage has come out and said that, yes, Hillary Clinton was not always for gay people and gay rights and gay marriage. And she has actively worked against gay marriage. 
but now she's come around and is supporting of gay marriage. So we should support Hillary Clinton because she's supporting gay marriage now, not because she uh-huh. always supported gay marriage. And, and we're allowed to learn from our mistakes and be better people and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But it's kind of interesting when you've got someone like Bernie Sanders who is marching with the you know black people getting arrested, looking for social justice. And yeah. you know, th- this yeah. guy, this guy's always been in the trenches throughout his entire life. And, and, and that's uh-huh. no lie. I'm not glorifying. The guy is just... Yeah, he, he's one of these weird politicians that he's, I know he's got some stances on. I think the guns might be the thing because he he thinks that people should have rights to owning handguns and whatnot. But yeah, well, he I mean, he is he a politician. Sticks to his guns. I mean, <laughs> he sticks to his. Yeah, no, he's he's willing to move on the, the gun issue and, 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 and discuss and evolve on that. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think like, you know, the way people have evolved on a gay marriage mm-hmm. He's certainly willing to evolve on that, and and has spoken more about it. But he comes from a, you know, it's a state with a lot of hunters and that. So yeah, yeah. Politically, you know, I, for I years, it was for him to be easy on the guns. Sure, sure, that makes sense. I mean, I'm from a family of hunters, and you know, they all have guns yeah. to go hunting, and you know that that's just part of the culture. I mean, a lot of Democrats, you know, up north have guns and they go hunting. A lot of Republicans up north have guns and go hunting, and it's right. really not that big a deal. It's just when things get crazy with it's, handguns and it, and it, it's stuff the like weirdest that. you know it's one thing to have a gun so you can go hunting mm-hmm. it's another thing to have a gun because yeah it's a gun <laughs> well and i can play with it and rub it and call it my own you i know, gotta say i think there's a lot of americans yeah. that think that way i disagree with you know even kurt russell's come out you know pro you know open carry and stuff like that i i worry about that kind of stuff because i think it just brings people's simmering bubbling anger about whatever's going on to a boil even the lead singer from uh eagles of death metal i just found out is totally thinks everybody should have a gun and that would solve the gun problem and i he's gone through a traumatic event and even before that he felt this but i feel like if everybody at that eagles of death metal concert had guns way more people would have been shot because no one would have known who to shoot at yeah you know it just it just, I just don't see that as a proper, you know, yeah, solution yeah. to random acts of terrorism that are less likely than lightning strikes to be a, a, an effect in your life. But anyway, I'm okay with Hillary changing her mind. I'm okay with that. I yeah. just, there's some things where she is is not changing her mind, but she is changing her mind, and she's just M- kind of maybe. whole cloth saying things that Bernie Sanders has already been saying. And yet she's accepting all this corporate money from Goldman Sachs and from super PACs and PACs and yeah. corporations and anyone who will give her money, she'll take the money. I don't mm-hmm. know how that doesn't make you beholden to them. I don't yeah. understand how you can almost claim, have to be corrupt. Yeah. I don't know how you can claim and, to not be corrupt. Yeah. Um, and so that's where I'm coming from. But I know she's a I know she's a solid politician. And I know that that's just part of the game. And maybe at her level of the game she just feels like that's something mm-hmm. she needs to do is take money from whoever's going to give me money i mean i know they mm-hmm. make sometimes if they get money from some group that hates them they don't take it because they could be seen as yeah uh, or they mail it back after right, it right. Hits, the, hits the after media, it hits the media. <laughs> they, yeah. they keep it as long as they can in the mail uh-huh. back if they have to if they have yeah to. yeah i think there was something a years ago nazis for buchanan or something like right, that right you know right <laughs> I don't know. It's an interesting cycle, and I think that there's a lot to be said. And, and this Witch Hillary Twitter thing is just blowing up today, so I don't know what that's going to play out for, because Hillary yeah. does a really good job with black voters. Looking at 538.org uh, and Nate Silvers and those guys analyzing, 
how Bernie Sanders is doing to Hillary. He's not doing that well. I mean, he's doing okay, but in those states that he needs to win, he's going to have to start winning, winning states outright. And Super Tuesday is going to be a big deal for deciding how the campaign is going to go. But mm-hmm. but if this Black Lives Matter thing, you know, affects Hillary right up and coming to the Super Tuesday, that yeah. could be really bad for her because if if the if she loses the black support and black voters start looking at Bernie Sanders as a viable candidate, I think that they'll start noticing, "Oh my goodness, this old white guy isn't just a regular old white guy. He's someone who's been looking at social justice and inequality for years and yeah, um, he, he might draw some of that support. It's just fascinating that it could it could still tilt. Right. But, but Bernie was overcoming. He was he was closer to Obama levels on his wave over Hillary. But now it's balancing out a little more. So I think it's still completely right. a toss up. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, as they say in football, this is why they play the game. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's just I don't know. Yeah. And especially we saw the last season. There's some games don't end until even until <laughs> no. the clock hits zero. No. So, um, puppy monkey baby, <laughs> puppy monkey baby, puppy monkey baby. Yeah, I think I most disturbing commercial I've ever seen at the Super Bowl. Oh yeah, that was that was disturbing. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> I didn't know what you were talking about at first. <laughs> puppy monkey baby. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's why they do it because you talk about it because it's super disturbing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> great. I had I successfully dropped that out, but. Sorry, it's uh, back. Hey, that that's all I have, I think. Uh, I, I'm just, hey, check out Bernie Sanders. But, you, you know, more important than Bernie Sanders, you know, he says that for him to uh, win, there has to be a grassroots movement. And there is a grassroots movement building, but it's not quite as big as it needs to be right now. And I do think that has to keep building, even if he doesn't get the nomination. So even if you end up with Hillary as president, or Trump is president, or God forbid, Cruz is president. <laughs> oh my God. You have to build up a grassroots movement that keeps going after the election ends and actually presses these politicians, not just the president, but all the politicians, to actually do the right thing. Because that's the only thing that's going to move us in the right direction, in a direction where we accept that climate change science is real yeah. and that we can massively improve our economy by doing some of the things Bernie Sanders is talking about. Mm-hmm. don't have time to really get into all the details, but there's just so many ways we can improve this country. But it's not you're not going to get the moneyed power to uh, change what they're doing unless there is a mass of people – Asking for it. Yeah. And and so. I think that that's been nice to have Bernie in the discussion because he's pulling yeah. Hillary to the left. But it's also, I think, and I know this is cynical of me, but I think it's nice to have Trump in this as well because he's such a wild card voice in the election cycle. That yeah. I, I know that he says things that make people really afraid, like he's going to kick out all Muslims out of the country. But yeah. His- the president doesn't have the power to truly do that. And if you're looking back at like things that were operations done by, you know, Roosevelt back in the day or whatever, I mean, it it takes more than just one wackadoo to decide that they're going to, you know, kick all the Mexicans out of the country yeah. or something like that. Trump is really strange. He 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 can say one thing that yeah. that sounds total Adolf Hitler, and the next thing sounds like <laughs> Bernie Sanders. Right, and right. he's just all over the map yeah. and everywhere in between. And he is he's fracturing up the GOP, which is great. Yeah, he's keeping and, people in a real state of confusion. <laughs> and, and I think it also 
uh, a lot of things that were not debated within the GOP, a lot of topics now can be debated, mm-hmm. which is a really good thing because I think the GOP especially is just falling in lockstep of these are the things we are for, mm-hmm. and they weren't giving them any themselves any room to think. Right, no think, wiggle room. Yeah. To stand out against the other candidates in a certain way, but yeah. yeah. I, I guess I'll have to, I'll watch highlight reels. That's all I can ever handle of a lot of those uh, election yeah. <laughs> debates. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, this is, uh, it's interesting, that's for sure. Hey, I, I'd point out there's a really cool, uh, one last thing, because I forgot to mention it earlier, I'm... I'm big on uh, pointing out stuff that I liked. And I want to tell you guys that um, on Netflix, I found a show called Love. Have you heard of that one? No, <laughs> I haven't watched it. I might have seen it scroll by. Yeah, but... it, it's Paul Rust who plays a young guy who ends up kind of falling in love and hanging out with uh, Gillian Jacobs, who plays a kind of messed up younger woman. It's a Judd Apatow produced project, but the directors of the different episodes are like John Slattery, who's one of the guys from Mad Men, and Steve Buscemi and uh, Michael Showalter, who did uh, Wet Hot American Summer. Um, okay. And, and there's a couple others who directed different episodes, but it's kind of like a, a, a romance show, kind of like watching a very long, modern Woody Allen film, like where he's you know, meeting people and falling in love and hanging out and trying to hold a job, and he's just a young, nervous, stressed-out guy. But, okay. But Is it, it a comedy? Yeah, yeah. It, it's a comedy, okay. but it's, 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 it's more like watching real life because Apatow has been criticized for this, and that's why I'll say this is not everybody's cup of tea, but I really, really, really liked it. So I'm unapologetically, I really, really enjoyed it. It takes time in the pauses to allow uncomfortable conversations to continue and for people to do things that are just pushing the boundaries of like i i get that you're an uncomfortable it's kind of like a seinfeld episode in some points and you can totally see the woody allen or the larry david influence on the paul Uh character Uh, but gillian jacobs is from community and she's a brilliant actress i love her claudia o'doherty plays this australian roommate of gillian that is just a ray of sunshine and just a really great character. So the characters are all great and lovable, but I like how the camera, some of the episodes are 70 minutes long and then some of them are 28 minutes long and some are 35. So there's this balance that Netflix doesn't care. It just lets the thing happen to tell the story that it wants. And there's some filler in there where it goes a little longer than it needs to. And I enjoyed that, but I know some critics were upset by that. And I'm like, no, Uh it's great to let it breathe because if you're going to, you don't have to binge watch the show, but I did. But if you're going to watch a really long show or just watch a whole series of something, it's kind of fun to be able to not worry about the length of, oh, this, yeah. this storyline has to wrap up immediately. Yeah. Um, I, some things moving way too quick now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this know, is a nice slow paced uh, show yeah, that yeah. it's it's very there's some rated R stuff in there. So it's not for families, but it's for like grownups who've lived through some of this stuff, uh, you know, <laughs> drug use and all that other stuff. I, I really enjoyed it. I highly recommend it. I love the outro music. I kind of love how that there's this really good musical feel to the to the whole f- structure of the TV show. Um, and that's their brand new thing they just released. I just sat down and watched the whole thing. <laughs> All right. Cool. It's called Love. Yep. We'll end the show with love. With love. <laughs> All right. From Tank Riot. All right.
everybody, this is Victor. I'm just pretending that I said this at the beginning of the episode before we recorded it instead of after when I realized I forgot to totally mention it at all. But I saw Deadpool and I very, very, very much liked it. I'm a huge fan of TJ Miller. He's one of my favorite all-time comedians, uh, currently active, and I love him. And Ryan Reynolds was totally fantastic. And Tim Miller is going to get another chance to make another Deadpool movie because this one was so fun. And if you know Deadpool, you've probably already seen it, so I'm just kind of wasting my time, but I really wanted to mention it. It's worth mentioning because it's really fantastic. Oh, and Colossus was a little over the top in the accent department, in my opinion, but I still really like seeing Colossus show up and do a really perfect, uh, giant, big old 1986 uh, Piotr, and Negasonic Teenage Warhead was fantastic as well. So <clears throat> very worthwhile film. So if you are a fan of this uh I'm kind of bummed because it's going to give uh, Fox a lot more ammo to hold on to the X-Men franchise. The whole, that X-Force universe is going to show up in Fox a little bit more because of this probably. So it's going to have some impact on Marvel owning their own cinematic universe a little bit more. So the MCU is going to be without Deadpool because Ryan Reynolds absolutely killed it and will forever be Deadpool. So it's worth seeing. Cheerio.